Good morning. This is Radio Three. Now Carol Mann presents Part Twelve of our Nature Series, My Matters. Good morning, and welcome once again to Mind Matters, our series of rubric talks and lectures. I'm Carol Meng. Today we will look into the old Chinese Gazette, which was used as a publicly available government publication that was distributed in a variety of formats since the 12th century. Professor Nicholas Standard from the University of Leuven in Belgium wrote a book which shows how European sources offer a unique way of expanding the knowledge about the Gazette of the 17th and 18th centuries. He was invited by the Chinese University of Hong Kong to give a talk entitled "Joining the Global Public in the Early Qing Dynasty: The Chinese Gazette in European Sources." What is then the problem? The problem is that. We project our project the name and the knowledge we have about the Gazette from beyond or after 1800. We project that on the earlier period, and we use the name King Bao, and we use the concept and the format and so on and so on on the time before, or. Another way, like for instance, Hilda Duway, where we check secondary sources,、uh, for instance, the diaries, the notebooks, the novels, to see what information is caught in it on the Gazette. For instance, we know on the basis on a Piki、uh, that someone three or four, four months later than the、um, than the death of.、Uh, Matteo Ricci says, "I read in a pau the death of Matteo Ricci." And that's a very indirect information. So my question was, can we find some information about the Gazette in Western sources? It's not a preference for Western sources because I mainly work on Chinese sources, but that was my simple question.、Um, And can we even find maybe some of the pre-1800 Chinese versions also in European libraries? So, extremely simple、uh, question. I'm not the first, as some other people have been working on it as well. So, in terms of methodology, and there you see the types of methodology that I try to use. Is the concept of looking at a culture from the periphery? I adopt the concept from the Institute of Fudan Taishui, the Wenshe Yenqiuyan. Guizhou Guang has already published about that. So let us look at Chinese history from the point of view of European sources or sources that are hidden in European libraries. But it can, and you will also see that I also use some、uh, Korean sources for it. And moreover, maybe the sources not only inform us about China, but also about how Europeans who lived in China read these sources. How was their reaction? What did they do with it? And so on. 
Moreover, another concept is the so-called interconnected history, is to see once we have the sources, to what extent is this King Pao, is this a Pao connected and used, for instance, also in Europe. Did European, and I'm not talking about the European missionaries in China, but did European intellectuals, savants, use these sources? So these were my basic research questions. First, a final point in terms of methodology. So I've discovered quite a number of European sources. The first point then is what is the, the information in these European sources? Is that correct information? In order to know that, I should have access to the Chinese sources, which I do not have. So what I, I did kind of bypass, namely, this is the people, and then you have European manuscripts, and some of these European manuscripts were published. And the problem is that we don't have the original people, except for about eight. I come back on that later. So I bypassed it and I tried to identify the records in the Sholu to see what was mentioned in this Gazette maybe appears in the Sholu. But the Sholu is not the basis of the Tipao because the Sholu is published or written much later. And the Tipao was usually a few days after the event with the emperor. They published or they wrote or maybe one month later, but the Sholu is historically much later. So what are the basis of the Sholu and of the Tipao that are the Chikiju and the, uh, the Shangyu. So when I had a record in the Sholu, I tried to find it in the Chikiju and the Shangyu. And then I could check whether it was the right uh, 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 origin. So very concretely, uh, you see a manuscript here, and then you can see, for instance, that's in French, uh, C1, 5,000. And so then I tried with the databases. And so I found the record with the names. This is French translation, uh, uh, Pinyin of that time. And then I could find it in the Chikiju and in the, um, and in the uh, Shangyu, uh, Shangyu Tang. Uh, you have the same with printed sources. Uh, this is a reference to, uh, for instance, Hershen, uh, the famous uh, minister Hershen and so, and the same uh, kind of events. So in my book, you will find about 60 pages with the identification of more than 300 items found in this way. So you can say the originals are not left, the originals, uh, uh, the Tipao are not left. We have the Chinese versions of it, and we have the translation in European sources. So that to a certain extent already expands our knowledge of what appeared in this um, uh, in this uh, Tipao at that time.
You're listening to Mind Matters, where we just had Professor Nicholas Standard telling us how he got started on the research. Next, he will look closely at the interconnected history that illustrates how the Chinese Gazette, as translated by European missionaries, became a major source for reflections on states and society by Enlightenment thinkers. Lettre et différente et curieuse. That's an enormous series. And in the Lettre et différente et curieuse, there are three letters by circumstance, who is not very well known, basically has no writing in Chinese and hardly anything in French, except these three letters. And that's about 300 pages. And they are basically only devoted to the Gazette. So what do we find? In this, uh, and you can see that was in um, uh, 1726 that it was written. So, what do we find in these letters? In the first place, he gives a description of what is the content of a gazette. And you see here the list. Eh? He says, You will find the names of officials, criminal cases, expenses made, admonitions, rituals performed, and so on and so on. Very nice, because if you look at modern publications, you will basically find the same list. So he, he, he has a very good record of what was the content. Uh, as I mentioned uh, here again, I try to identify all the different uh, sources, and they are quite extensive. And if you want to know what is he translating, here you have a few examples. So that can be the end of three-year mourning and installation of the empress, a text about a memorial archway, uh, uh, something rescue the people in years of bad harvest to relieve the poor, a death sentence, and so on. So a wide range of topics. These are, as you can notice, they are not related to Christianity at all. Um, he also gives information about the structure of the kippo. So, and that corresponds well with what we know about these early kippos. Namely, you first have the Lunin, and then the Shangyu, and then the Zhe, and then the Tizhou. I come back on that uh, later. And um, how can we prove it, or how can we find whether that corresponds? In fact, so far, I only found one copy of what was the Tipao during the Yongzheng period. And that is this text that is in the Österreichische Nationalbibliothek in Vienna. As you can see, the title is not Tipao. The title is not Qingpao. Qingpao is much later. It is Tizhou Chuanlu. Do we know whether that is the correct title at that time? I checked many databases, the Jiaolong database and so on. You will not find it. Only in Korean sources, you have this Yen um, Lu. Uh, these are the delegates, the yearly delegates from Korea going to uh, Beijing, and they stay there for one or two months. And then they go back and they write report. And they have several records saying in the Tizhou Chuan Lu of today, it is mentioned this and this and this and this. And there is a note in the text, original note from that time, saying that this is 
跟我们的草包一样。It's the same as our official uh, um, newspaper. Maybe we have a second copy, and that's the glass here in the Musée National d'Histoire Naturelle de Paris. They have a collection of minerals, and these minerals are in boxes or in this. This is closed, has never been opened, and you see some of these characters. And so we guess that this may be a copy that they are wrapped in one paper or so of the teapot. So they have not yet decided whether they want to open it or not, but let us hope that they open it and then we have a further confirmation. You see how the detective work uh, it implies to, to find your sources. Now, why do we know that this is really the Gazette of that time? Well, in fact, there is this important article by Pan Tianzhen, who already pointed out that during the Qianlong period, the most important, uh, well, the, the Tipao or Qingpao, it was called Tizou Shi Tian. Shi Tian here has the meaning of documents, and the documented or document, the, the Tizou, the, the memorials, and they are documentation. And uh, it's only much later that the term Qingpao was really uh, used. And in Paris, we have, from the Qianlong period, we have eight Osdiv copies. And you can see there is also the handwriting. And this is the handwriting of the missionary. And we have the French version of the text as well. And so the Tizou Chuanlu, is the forerunner of the Tizou Shetian, uh, of the, of, yeah, this is, uh, uh, so the, this one is earlier, and that, that's why it is the forerunner of the Tizou Chuan, uh, uh, Shetian. The Tizou Chuanlu is the, is the forerunner of the Tizou uh, Shetian. Okay. So this is for the material side of the of the story. So um, uh, furthermore, uh, Contencin has information about the significance of the Gazette. Uh, namely, he says, yeah, um, what makes the Gazette of China very useful for the government is that instead of filling it as is done in certain parts of Europe with useless things, and often with slander and calumny, it only mentions what relates to the emperor. This is very early, and we will see this remark repeated, repeated again. So they start to compare that with the European gazettes or newspapers at that time. And moreover, it points out that this is a very good means to instruct the people and the officials. Uh, moreover, he says, it really should repair, report what is said and what is done by the emperor. And then he has a very small sentence, and you will see how important this sentence will become. He writes, yeah, last year, two writers were sentenced to death for having inserted in the Gazette some circumstances 
which were false. Uh, the emperor went in the Yuan and he had a meeting with some of the officials and then they write that he went on the boat and that they got drunk and they had a whole feast and that was reported and then the emperor said no that is not true and so on and so they were condemned to death but you see it's only a small sentence which fortunately i could identify in the original sources uh, but that will be become very important for what uh, follows uh, finally he has some uh, personal uh, explanation uh, saying that uh, yeah this kind of cassette is very useful for the missionaries they really should read it and i spent already 20 years in china and i didn't do, do that before but now i regret it because you find so much information about religion and laws and customs and language and so on and so on and so uh, he also mentions uh, yeah yet the european missionaries as always neglected this reading because they do not know enough the language or because they associated with Europe where uh, anything is put in it good and bad without any dis distinction and that's why they don't read it so interesting remarks to see their uh, feelings about it so this was the first um, uh, case eh, but that's already 300 pages and then there is another case and these are manuscripts courses uh, sources that are kept in the um, in the uh, propaganda fide the archives of the propaganda fide in rome and what is particular here so this person is living in canton about the same uh, uh, time and um, he uh, they have um, uh, copied by hand some complete people so that's very precious for us because there you have not the original version, but the original Chinese text and also uh, uh, translated into um, Italian. So they also give information about the content and about the form. Uh, there are some differences eh, because Content Saint, he addresses it to an individual. Uh, 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 Content Saint addresses it to an individual so that he can it eh? whereas uh, Peroni eh? has the internal report and that was never published it was not spread uh, anywhere and it's also quite unique because of the Chinese uh, text so he also has the same personal considerations he says yeah nor is there any danger that the story will be altered by the passion of the writer and so insist on the same point it is a report about what the emperor says and the uh, authors of the compilers of the uh, typo are not uh, allowed to um, uh, to change it um, so is there any any difference or what can we see uh, because they are on one hand they are reporting about all this but there is also a vision that appears from uh, behind eh? And so, um, Contencin, uh, he, um, uh, he, he uh, writes also about the emperor. And despite the persecution of Christianity, 
he has a quite laudatory description of the emperor eh, on the Yongzhong emperor. So he mentions that it is a wise government, that the emperor is in service of public utility, that there is an active bureaucracy, and we have to point out that this view is not necessarily shared by all the other missionaries uh, or Jesuit missionaries, but he is very positive uh, about it. Peroni, uh, he has a more mixed view eh, because despite the persecution, he also have a positive view on the emperor and the bureaucracy. Uh, he says that the emperor is good at lecturing and that he holds speeches to reproach his officials, that he is attentive to the needs of the people, that the bureaucracy is in communication with the emperor, and so on, and so on. And so, on one hand, quite positive, but he also has a negative view, more nuanced. Eh? He says that the emperor is blinded by his officials, that in his speeches, that his speeches are disconnected from reality, that there is famine, but he doesn't know anything about it. He's blind results in the cruel persecution of Christianity, and the bureaucracy is always flattering the emperor. And so that's more nuanced uh, vision about it. So as a first, uh, this was the presentation, as a first kind of small conclusion, what can we see? Well, on the one hand, looking at from the periphery to the sources, we get to know something about the material side, about how was it constituted, and so on and so on. And also, we know something about the content of these um, um, sources. So now, these sources arrived in Europe. We mentioned that Peroni's manuscript was not this, but the Lettres et were public, and they were published. So the question is, how far what happened with this with this text? So here we can look at academic journals and newspapers and also some books. So in Europe at the time there were academic journals. Two famous journals are you can find fully online Le Journal des Savants and also Les Mémoires de Trévoux. And what is typical for these academic journals is that they make very long reviews of publications with a lot of excerpts. So this is a new way of distributing the same knowledge. And we find in them extensive quotes from these letters. So the letters or the knowledge about the Gazette is spread more widely than only by the Lettres et différentes écrivains. You have also some newspapers or some pamphlets. This is a book, uh, a newspaper called The Bee Revived. And in it, you find again the reference to the public gazette. And also, they are the reverse of European newspapers. And you find the reference to two writers that were condemned to death. So that apparently was an important aspect. 
Another publication is Description de la Chine, four volumes, where it's an enormous uh, information, source of information about China. And there is a whole chapter on the Chinese government. Uh, and you can see this book was published in French, but also in English, in Russian, in German. Uh, and you have a whole section on the Gazette. Nothing is inserted in the Gazette, but what has reference to the government. It's aimed at instructing the officials. And again, a reference to our two writers who were condemned to death. More information? Yes. At that time, there were some books on Chinese and world history. For instance, Histoire Générale de la Chine. This is a collection, uh, it's one work published in 13 volumes, more than 7,000 pages. Uh, as you probably know, in European languages, you have the Cambridge History of China, and that's about the largest collection uh, about Chinese history in, in English at this moment. I think there are 150 persons, scholars who worked on it. This work is published by one person. Translation from Chinese and from Manchu. And in fact, it's still the largest work on Chinese history, published by one person since the 16th or 17th century. And again, you have a whole section and they used that information for the Yongzhen uh, period. They used the information from the Gazette. Another work is also Merci, eh, Histoire Moderne des Chinois, again using these sources. So what can we say about this distribution? Um, and here I refer to Jürgen Ostel, uh, Osterhammel, eh, uh, who wrote eh, and writes eh, Europe was well informed about the Gazette and about uh, uh, events in China. Well, that's, I'm writing that, but then the sentence from Osterhammer uh, uh, is around the mid 18th century, the public in France and Germany was better informed about China than about many countries in on Europe's peripheries. So that's quite interesting. They were informed at these sources. Plus, that's Osterhammer, the war extensively shows that, that these sources are based on original Chinese texts. And of course, when you translate, there is also always interpretation. But there was a kind of attempt to let the sources speak for themselves. So to say, you want to know something about China, Duhalde also writes that. Well, the best way is that we translate Chinese sources. Uh, and as you probably know, in modern scholarship, we tend to analyze and to criticize as one, which is also a very interesting approach. But there is certain difference between that time and between our times, uh, uh, the description de la Chine, for instance, it's a memoir concernant les Chinois, on which I will come back. It's very impressive how many texts, in fact, were translated directly from Chinese. So this was the distribution. The next question is, but how was this information received? In fact, 
yeah, when you have it already in uh, in description or in this, uh, it's already a way of receiving. But how can we have yeah, very explicitly a reception of this information about uh, about the gasset? And here we can uh, look at the Enlightenment thinkers, uh, Voltaire, Montesquieu, Quenet, and uh, another text on which we come back. First is Voltaire. Uh, Voltaire uh, is, of course, one of the most important uh, Enlightenment thinkers. Eh? And what is interesting is that Voltaire wrote a lemma on the Gazette in the very famous Encyclopédie de Diderot. Eh? That's the famous um, Encyclopedia of Enlightenment thinking. That was Professor Nicholas Standard from the University of Leuven in Belgium. I'm Carol Meng, and I invite you to join me next Sunday morning on Mind Matters.